Chapter Ten of *The Fortune Hunter*, a novel of New York Society by Anna Cora Mowat. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Unheedful vows may be heedfully broken. Shakespeare. The unpleasantness of Edgar Chadwick's visit to the Clintons only made him more anxious to behold Aria. A word from her sweet lips could cancel all the disagreeable impressions, remove all the uneasiness, and by magical influence speedily restore his cheerfulness. He determined to talk again upon the lemmings, and insist upon seeing Miss Walton short because it was made with the hasty steps of expectation brought him to mr lemming's door an irish woman a simple-hearted creature answered the summons of the bell as soon as she saw who desired admittance she saluted him with look mr chadwick is it yourself it's right glad i am to see you and it's been watching for you all the afternoon i was the missus left word that she was too busy to see you in case you called. But there's Miss Aria. Lord, love her, and bless her beautiful face. Sure the like of it never smiled upon a poor body before at all, at all. Miss Aria, she kind of knew you'd come. And Biddy, she says to me, good Biddy, it's always good Biddy, with the sweet soul. It's Mr. Chadwick comes to-night do you just manage to open the door for him and contrive to slip this here little letter into his hand for my sake and never lisp a word of it about the house biddy for it's you i can trust and nobody else god bless her those were just the words she spoke and so i will miss says i for there's nobody but the letter give me the letter good woman no matter for your answer where's the letter why sure here it is if i haven't lost it i puts it in my pocket and goes downstairs and never thought to see if it was safe till this blessed minute but it is safe is it not what on earth makes you wear such a sack of a pocket said chadwick impatiently as bridget's arm up to the very elbow disappeared in her capacious pocket from which she had not yet extracted the precious document. Oh, it's because I've a power of things to keep in it, be sure. Faith and troth, then the letter's gone. No, here it is. No, it aren't neither. It's the Mrs. Paper of Chamomile Flowers. Ah, oh, now here it is safe enough. I knew it by the little blue seal. Edgar snatched the letter hurriedly thanked the woman and was turning away when he remembered that there might be something even more acceptable to her than thanks and slipped half a dollar into her hand thank ye sir thank ye that's a rare gentleman miss aria's got for her spark at all events the lord prosper ye both i shan't forget to tell miss aria that is just edgar did not hear the conclusion of her sentence for he was already rapidly pursuing his way towards home the letter was in his hand and he found it impossible to walk the whole distance to waverley place without at least taking a glimpse at its contents he stepped beneath the street lamp broke the seal and unfolded the letter it contained several pages closely written in a delicate 
but here and there irregular almost illegible hand as though the feelings of the writer had varied as she wrote he hastily refolded the sheets more impatient than ever for the seclusion of his own chamber that chamber he entered in ten minutes more the door was locked a candle lighted and the letter in his hand he opened it again and again touched the impress of that dear hand to his lips and with a light and a hopeful heart seated himself and read as follows how shall i begin to write you beloved edgar how shall i ever find the words to communicate to you tidings which have weighed so heavily on my own heart that i dread no future trial so much as transferring a portion of their weight to yours nerve yourself and be strong with what fortitude were it needful would you not endure the most excruciating physical operation prepare yourself with equal courage to bear this unavoidable mental affliction a few days ago only a few days ago i promised you to become your wife and oh how much more than wife i promised myself to be to you but i dare not dwell over the blissful past the past it is indeed for the happiness of those hours can never return the tender title of wife can never be mine thank god i have written the worst you know all yes i i who but yesterday so fondly pictured the sunny future to your enchanted eyes i whose thoughts were so pregnant with bright prospects and brighter hopes whose lips were so full of tenderness whose heart so replete with the first passionate devotion with which it had ever inspired i whose hand but last night returned the pressure of yours with all the warmth of happy love with that very hand i to-day trace the unalterable words i can never be yours the barrier to our union can never be surmounted or whence the knowledge of it came i can never even reveal to you your most urgent entreaties could not force me to do so for there is a vow against it already registered in heaven bear with firmness the misfortunes that are not only allotted to you for a wise end i should be more resigned if i could but know that you were firm all hope is not taken from us one last lingering ray yet throws its light over the far-distant future, though the darkness of despair lies between. How short is this life! How long eternity! How short a space, then, can our spirits be separated? For how long, O one, may they be reunited in the world to which we are journeying? Alas, in the existence of that world you hardly believe and you deny yourself how great a consolation edgar beloved edgar there is one grief greater to me than the certainty that i must resign you for ever far greater than the knowledge that all my earthly dreams of happiness are dispelled and then even greater than the anguish of knowing that i have made you miserable it is the grief which overwhelms me when i remember 
that I shall not be permitted to converse with you daily, to present holy truths to your mind, to lead your thoughts to the contemplation of your Creator, to hear you at length acknowledge his existence, his perfect goodness, and his boundless mercy, and yield him the homage of an adoring spirit. Something of this grief you can spare me. It is my last request, Edgar, for my sake, if not for your own. You cannot refuse it. The universal end, the end of all things in creation, is that there may be an eternal conjunction of the Creator with His creatures. In order that this conjunction may take place, we must elevate our minds to Him and purify our spirits, that they may become recipients of His goodness and wisdom. Our minds we cannot thus elevate to God unless we seek and find Him. You, Edgar, have not found him, because you have not sought. My only petition to you is that you will seek him now, that you will look for the proofs of his existence, not in this external world alone, nor in the starry worlds, whose wonderful periodical motions he orders and controls. Look for him in the yet more wonderful workings of the immortal soul, and you will find him there, perfectly manifested as everywhere, can the philosopher ask a nobler study? All religion must be based on philosophy, or its foundation is in the sand. You will, perhaps, answer me, but how am I to believe that there is such a thing as that soul of which you speak? I have never yet seen the evidence of such existence. I only see that our perceptions are derived through our senses, which are material, and that the will which guides our action proceeds from the workings of the brain, animated by a vital principle, which, being extinguished, causes us to expire. I reply that of the existence of the soul you may readily convince yourself. In cases of natural or induced somnambulism, of which thousands of instances are daily occurring around us, the body is deprived of all sensation, and the material senses are completely closed yet the soul feels, thinks, wills, and internally acts. It perceives by means of spiritual senses, and in some states has intercourse with spirits. Distances are annihilated, and the spiritual vision perceives objects too far removed to be visible to the keenest natural sight. These facts have long and too well been authenticated, for the determined skepticism reasonably to deny them. If you admit them, you must admit that the workings of the brain are caused by the spirit or soul, and that the vital principle of which you speak is that spirit or soul, and cannot be extinguished, although it may be separated from its fleshly covering, the body, when that covering becomes disorganized and useless. All that I ask is that you will thoroughly investigate these subjects, rejecting nothing that appears marvelous and incomprehensible, until you have satisfied yourself that it is a delusion, and that the learned and wise men who received it as truth were deluded. Will you pardon me if I say a word on the subject of faith? The other evening I heard you say, It may be very unfortunate, but I am not blessed with faith. If you are not, it is indeed unfortunate. A celebrated theologian gives the following definition of faith. Faith is an affectation for truth, arising from the love of truth, for truth's sake. 
are you indeed without this affection edgar i think not one more word and i have finished the bible read it i entreat you if it only be a study yet read it from the natural or literal sense of its contents which first reaches the understanding you will learn much and gradually as your mind becomes enlightened through reverence and affection for those contents its spiritual meaning will become apparent to you you will feel that its writers were inspired and that it is indeed the word of god by the means of which men have communicated with heaven you may perhaps think it strange that i should choose such a painful moment to write on subjects of this nature but reflect dearest edgar of how much importance i esteem these subjects remember that these lines may be the last that i shall ever address to you and you will pardon me i look upon this world as the vestibule where we must fit ourselves for heaven what wonder then that i should earnestly desire that your soul should be so moulded that the sphere which i humbly hope would be heaven to me should not be less so to you i have finished and as i call to mind your superiority of intellect your strength of character and the talents for which you are distinguished i am surprised at myself for daring to usurp the place of counsellor ah edgar that place i shall never again hold let me not have forced myself into this once in vain and now i must write that most dreaded and doubly sad word farewell i may not add think of me but rather forget me and forget that you ever loved me to hear that you are happy will be some alleviation of my sorrow when time has healed the wound now so fresh in your heart you will marry at least i hope you will and then i may sometimes venture to be near you and rejoice in your well-being as for myself i will never be a wife shall never love another although henceforth i must force myself to love you as a sister farewell my pen pauses at the word there is so much more i would say but no it would only add to your sorrow farewell may heaven soon grant you the love of another and worthier being whose devotion may equal and if possible surpass that of your aria good god faltered chadwick as he finished the last line do i not dream aria rejects me gives me no reason refuses to state the obstacle what am i to think and yet what pure and perfect love she invinces how she restrains her own feelings for fear of paining me how generous self-sacrificing how full of wise goodness is every line chadwick reperused a portion of the letter and his eyes filled to overflowing in a moment he hastily brushed away the moisture what weakness is that i will see her she must see me she must explain and there is no obstacle which i will not surmount she shall be yet mine the jewel is too priceless for me to relinquish it she cannot resist my entreaties no no lovely perfect 
too angelic aria i can learn your beautiful faith from no lips as well as from thy pure ones and they must not refuse to teach me End of chapter 10